you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to The Hash. We're joined today by George Sonderly, Wendy O, and Jen Sanasi. We're going to start it off with Wendy O on the latest from Voyager Digital. Voyager Digital issues three arrows capital with default notice. The crypto broker is reported to have lent 3AC approximately $350 million in stablecoin USDC and approximately 15,250 Bitcoin, which equals approximately $673 million as of today's prices. And the reason why I say approximately is because we got that volatility there. Also, too, it's looking like Three Arrows Capital is insolvent because they haven't responded to this request. And apparently Voyager can pursue legal action. However, I don't know if they can actually pursue legal action if there's nothing to take back from a company that is insolvent. Lastly, it is very, very important to note that on June 22nd, Voyager released a press release announcing a 200 million and 15,000 Bitcoin load from Alameda Ventures. And it is also important to note that Mr. Big Daddy Chad Sam <laughs> had a personally purchased a lot of shares in Voyager. But I need to get your guys' opinion on this because this is getting a little bit spicy. And I have a closing thought on this story also. I mean, the number $137 million of cash and crypto assets on hand at Voyager seems highly troubling. That does not seem like a lot of money given what's going on in terms of the loans that they made out to 3AC. So again, stepping back, this is that three arrows contagion that we're seeing slowly creep across every crypto lender and hurt them all badly, right? The idea here is that 3AC was down bad. They started borrowing assets, doing some risky bets that they were hoping would get them back in the black, just got them further in the red, and they're taking down these crypto lenders with them. So the fact that Voyager doesn't seem to have much in terms of cash and crypto on hand seems a bit scary given that they are pulling money out of the loan that was extended to them through Alameda Ventures, which is obviously Sam Bankman-Fried linked. The fact that they're doing that now suggests that they don't expect to get that money from Three Arrows back, and hopefully they'll have enough to continue their operations as normally planned. But yeah, that number seems like kind of, kind of close. So we'll see what happens there. We saw last week they reduced their withdrawal limits. So there's definitely some ramifications for Voyager users who may be caught holding the bag on this one, but I'll toss it back to Wendy for her thoughts. 
One of the last things I kind of want to say about this is I don't think the Bitcoin bottom is in. We're seeing a lot of people say Bitcoin bottoms in, start buying the dip, blah, 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 blah. And I think until this contagion is kind of settled, once everything is done with Three Arrows Capital with Celsius, then we can actually start to see a Bitcoin bottom. So that's why I'm contemplating for the actual bottom, for actual capitulation to be anywhere between 10,000 and 20,000. And back in the 2018 bear market, we saw that at approximately like 3000 to $9,000, we went sideways. So that's what I'm anticipating. I don't think the bottom is anywhere near yet until all of this contagion gets contained. I would like to say that we are not giving financial advice. I will always put that little asterisk on whatever we say on this show. So I think when Voyager said, I think last week that they were putting a deadline of June 27th on 3AC, I don't think any of us thought that 3AC was going to be able to pay back their debt. The article gives a nice background on 3AC being this darling of the crypto bull market. And I think it really is a lesson, you know, like in the bull market, everything is amazing. We're on yachts, we're spending money, everyone is rich, enjoying life taking risky bets. And then we hit the bear market and it's very, very obvious who hasn't been preparing, who hasn't been diversifying their risk. And to what Hester Peirce was saying in, I think, one of the articles we spoke about last week, maybe it's time to just let these companies who weren't able to prepare, who have shown that they actually haven't been able to diversify their risk and manage a company to live through these things that we know are going to happen in the financial industry and especially in the crypto industry and crypto markets. Maybe it's time to just let them pass away. But Zach, I'll hand it back off to you. Yeah, so Three Arrows is Suzu and Kyle Davies. And I think the point about Suzu specifically kind of counter-trading his Twitter following needs to be taken into account here. But he was the loudest voice of this being the super cycle, right? This time being different because of the way institutions had embraced Bitcoin and digital assets in this latest run, right? So he was betting, at least at some point, on this super cycle thesis. And that thesis, he later admitted, was flawed. And that law thesis and these additional risky bets that they took on through these loans across the entire centralized finance lending apparatus, that is what we're seeing now play out in pretty stunning display. Now we have people trying to poach Celsius assets, people putting together offers for BlockFi bits and pieces. And all of a sudden, the crypto lending industry is extremely shaky. So it is interesting to see this all unfold. And it's a wild one. Wendy, last thoughts. Well, got to say one more thing. I do think we did have a super cycle. We literally had two pumps. We hit a swing wick high of 65,000 and then we dropped, corrected. And then we hit another swing wick high at approximately 69,000 and then we dropped. So this cycle was a lot different in my opinion than what we saw in 2017, 2018. Even though we didn't get those crazy numbers like the 100,000 Bitcoin, the $250,000 Bitcoin, we still had a lot of really great opportunities in the bull market to make money. However, there was quite a few more bad actors that we have seen. One thing I do have to add, create your own trading and investing plans and you'll do a lot better than following somebody on the interwebs. Don't follow me either, not financial. <laughs> you know, the old adage, only invest what you can afford to lose. I think that yes. plays here. And some people were investing far more than they could afford to lose. Hard times in mining land. That's what's going on. Compass Mining, which, by the way, Will Foxley works at as the director of content, is having a hard time with a facility up in Maine. The company took it to Twitter, airing out some dirty laundry yesterday and alleging that Compass Mining had not paid its bills in full. They would, in turn, be losing a Maine Bitcoin mining facility. So that's what's going on there. 
This is a bear market signal. We may see more of these announcements from the Bitcoin mining industry over the next weeks and months as Bitcoin mining as a proposition becomes less profitable. It's cuts like this or just beef between service providers and mining firms themselves are likely to emerge. Interesting tack here chosen by Dynamic. They're taking this public saying that there's a suit in the works. Compass Mining does not have a statement as of this time, but we will likely hear something from them soon. I'm going to toss this straight to Wendy for her initial thoughts on this Compass Mining situation. Happy to see you amazing people again and big shout out to everybody watching. So let's talk about the initial part of this story. The fact that this company went out publicly and made these types of allegations, I don't like that. I don't like public callouts. I don't think it does anybody a service. And if in fact you do have to go to court later on, I just think it makes it look kind of cringe, whatever. I'm not into public callouts. But like you said, Zach, this definitely is a bear market issue. We're going to see a lot more mining farms capitulate, in my opinion. That's why I don't think that we've actually seen the bottom of Bitcoin yet. Because mining economics is important. I feel like we don't give enough credit to the actual miners because they kind of, I don't want to say they control what happens to Bitcoin, but they play a really, really big part as to what's going on with Bitcoin. So I think that we will see lower when it comes to Bitcoin's price action. Again, I said consolidation between 10,000 and 20,000, but it is important to note what's happening with the miners and if they're unable to pay their bills or whatever the deal is. I do think that Compass will probably clap back and say, hey, blah, blah, blah or they've contacted legal because again, public callouts are just kind of not good. I feel like it, sometimes they do more harm than good. I feel like sometimes public callouts also indicate maybe they have not been able to come to a resolution behind closed doors. And it kind of indicates for me when I see these public callouts that this is a last resort. That said, public callouts are kind of a little bit of a culture in crypto. I think we often see CEOs of exchanges on Twitter beefing it out in the public for everyone to see. Maybe it has to do with that transparency. But what I zeroed into on this article was that agreement. So all these people who have these miners that are being hosted by Compass, what's going to happen to them? And so the story points out some things in the agreement. It says the hosting agreement states that in an emergency, Compass may rearrange, remove, or relocate customer hardware without any liability to Compass. The terms also have customers waive their rights to seek remedies in court or be involved in any class action lawsuits. And so I'm curious, I'm not a lawyer. I'm curious though, how these terms would play out in a court. If someone were to go to court, would these terms that they've agreed to actually stand up? I think a court might find that the user signing it might not have known, or they might have a right to seek legal action if the terms of that contract were not fulfilled. But Zach, I saw your hand go up. I think Wendy's got a better take, so I'm gonna toss it her way, I saw her hand. Well, I will say that those terms are very much important. I've heard stories from different people in the industry. For example, if you use an exchange, you have to sign the terms of services. There's a little box you have to click. If you click that and something happens to your funds on those exchange, if you go try to take them to court, you're probably not going to win. Unfortunately, those are really, really hard cases to prove. So the fact that Compass Mining did have those terms in, that's unfortunate that they're there. It's like we don't read terms of services, and I feel like we need to start promoting that, which is kind of cringe because in our industry, it's supposed to be true decentralization, whatever it is. But I feel like terms of its services are really important to read, especially with stuff like this. So I think the whole thing's unfortunate. Whoever did their legal stuff was really, really smart, and I'm just not a fan of what they put into the terms of services. But thanks for calling that out, Jen. Yeah, the broader point about terms of service, I think, is really important, especially with sort of this crypto lending crisis that we're seeing here, right? You know, in the event of bankruptcy, depositors are kind of screwed, right? They're on the bottom of the cascading waterfall of paid out claims, right? 
And so if you look at sort of how the bankruptcy protection works, a lot of these people who are depositors to say a Celsius or a BlockFi, in the event of insolvency, they're pretty low down on the totem pole in terms of whether or not they're going to be able to get their funds back. So I think it does go to, hey, read the TOS. A lot of this stuff is built on open decentralized networks, but most people interact with these systems through these centralized intermediaries that are either exchanges or lending platforms, or in this instance, you know, Compass Mining, which kind of aggregates mining power and produces something collectively. The broader point that Wendy brings up is certainly important to think about. Let's talk about some drama. We're talking about Compass Mining again. Full disclosure, Will Foxley, the fourth in the hash band, works for Compass Mining on the content side. So it's a bummer he's not here. He couldn't say anything anyway, but we're still talking about his company because they had a major shakeup yesterday. The board seems to have pressured CFO and CEO to step down over, quote, setbacks and disappointments. This is a major shakeup. We're talking about, I think it was a power agreement with a facility in Maine that there was some beef about that spilled into Twitter a couple days ago. We talked about that yesterday. And now this is certainly an escalation. And potentially that power agreement with that main facility was just the tip of the iceberg. So this is a pretty interesting shakeup. Probably the first story that we've seen from a mining firm to be hit hard by market conditions. And as such, the board has decided to replace the CEO and CFO over at Compass Mining. This is pretty crazy. I'm going to throw it straight to Jen for her thoughts on Compass. I read this story and I just thought like, yikes. So the resignations definitely point to some mismanagement. I don't think this is only due to market conditions. I really zeroed in on part of the article that mentioned that Compass closed their Discord channel on June 24th. So some customers, I think it was on Twitter, were saying that this was intended to stop them from sharing information amongst each other or lodging complaints. I think this is just like PR 101 when something is going wrong and there's a crisis to manage, don't shut down your communications channels. I think even if you have nothing to communicate, communicating that is better than shutting down channels, especially in this industry, especially in this market. That's how you erode trust very, very quickly. But it looks like the board has stepped in here to make some changes. It sounds like there's going to be big restructure coming. And so I hope that they're able to turn this around, but I don't like that they shut down their Discord. Wendy? All right. So I know that Compass had some shaky beginnings, very, very early beginnings. You guys can do your own research on that. And it does definitely sound like there was a lot of funds that were being mismanaged, which I feel like a lot of people in the bull market were just making so much money so fast. And we see this with traders all the time too, people using high leverage, people taking out collateralized loans, not seeing how those work. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with this particular company. I didn't know they shut down the Discord. That's a big, big no-no. This is why you pay marketers. This is why you pay PR people to kind of communicate for you. There also seems to be a big issue in crypto in general with communication skills because we have all these really, really smart people, but they have a hard time communicating what they're feeling or what's happening. And you can't do that when you have customers. I also don't know exactly how the company was structured and how they were providing services. But I do know closing a Discord is bad. And I do think that it's interesting that the rest of the team is calling for the resignation of the uppers. And hopefully that will save the company. But I think we will see a lot more issues with Bitcoin miners in the future because the money is just not there like it was when Bitcoin was trading at $60,000 and up. Yeah. And we saw another really interesting piece from Eliza, who is one of our mining specialists called Crypto Miners Are Facing Margin Calls and Defaults as Debt Comes Due in the Bear Market. That's a nice long read that you might want to also dig into if this story is of interest to you. 
Because I think you're going to see that, especially from these big mining firms that went public during this last bull run. All of a sudden, it's a very different environment that they're going to find themselves in as they relate to the public markets and as they relate to their obligations to publicly disclose facts and figures about their business operations as part of the deal of being a public company. So it's going to be interesting to see which public mining companies may also run into some choppy waters and whether or not such things as this may become more commonplace. Whether this is mismanagement and the wrong leadership or, hey, we're down bad given the current market and we don't have a path forward. Hard to see right here. Hard to tell exactly what's going on. But the quote-unquote restructuring alluded to in the company statement certainly suggests that a lot of work is ahead for Compass Mining itself. Going to be interesting to see if Thomas Heller, who's been a long-time presence in the mining space, can help right the ship. Tons of news, guys. So my story is about Grayscale. And disclaimer, Grayscale is owned by DCG, which means they have the same parent company as Coindesk. But that doesn't mean I can't tell you about some bad news about them. Now, does it? <laughs> anyway, so Grayscale has this financial vehicle called GBTC. And what it's supposed to do is give investors price exposure to Bitcoin. It was and it is very critically not an ETF, right? That's an important distinction. It holds actual Bitcoin in a trust on behalf of investors for a fee. In the early days when there weren't any products like it, GBTC traded at a premium to the price of Bitcoin, which means you had to pay more than the Bitcoins were so you could have in this product that sort of kind of traded like a stock. Fast forward to now, and we have a bunch of other types of Bitcoin ETFs in places like Canada and Europe. And we have you know this futures-based ETF in the US. But what we don't have yet is a spot Bitcoin ETF. In plain English, we do have this Bitcoin ETF in the United States that requires fancy financial contracts, futures, to mimic the price of Bitcoin instead of them just holding the Bitcoin in spot to mimic the price of Bitcoin. Seems silly, right? So Grayscale is like, hey, SEC, we have this trust thing called GBTC. It holds Bitcoin. It's kind of like an ETF, but it isn't actually an ETF. So can we just convert it into an ETF and make it easy for people to get exposure to Bitcoin? And the SEC was like, no, which is why we're here. And then the CEO of Grayscale announced that Grayscale is suing the SEC after hiring some high-powered lawyer. And guys, I could talk about details for hours here, but I want to let Zach riff. Okay, I'll riff. Yeah, the quest for the spot Bitcoin <laughs> ETF continues apace in the U.S. And the U.S., it should be said, is really one of the only major markets that doesn't have a spot Bitcoin ETF. So Grayscale, which is a big player in the space, and GBTC, which has become critical actually to the recent developments in the marketplace, and we can get into that later, that is a product that they've long been committed to transferring to an ETF, a true spot Bitcoin ETF. But that is not going to happen anytime soon. And you're right, now they're mounting this legal campaign to see if the SEC can reconsider or at least articulate in full why it is a spot Bitcoin ETF remains so hated by US regulators. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this and what ultimately will transpire in legal proceedings. It still seems to be early innings of the legal proceedings. I don't know if they've actually filed yet to sue. They have filed a petition. So there is movement on that front. But Grayscale is indeed framing it as, okay, we're going to sue the government and have them argue in court why this continues to be a sticking point for securities regulators in the US. It's going to be weird to see how this all shakes out, whether there is a protracted fight. But there's been a lot of noise around GPTC, given some of the recent activities in the market and some exposure to some of these now insolvent players who had large GPTC positions that have sort of seemingly led to further risk taking that played out very poorly for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how Grayscale pursues this given this market condition and whether or not they can ultimately get that product, that spot Bitcoin ETF over the finish line in the US. Jen, you're in Canada. They got those things up there. What are your thoughts on this? We've had them for a while. I mean, I say this every time we talk about spot ETFs. I'm so done talking about this. 
We didn't get the ETF in the bull market. Did we really think it was going to happen now? Like Bitcoin is down 60% for the year. Exchanges are liquidating. Hedge funds are liquidating. People are going insolvent. I just don't think this is the right time, especially in the eyes of the SEC, for this to happen. I think regulators are watching what's happening in the market. They are collecting up all of the information. I think we're going to come out of this bear cycle with some heavy-handed regulation that speaks to exactly what's happening. And I would have been very surprised to see this spot ETF go through. That said, I think that the lawyer that Grayscale has brought in does have a good point. Futures ETFs exist. So all of the issues that the SEC is citing in regards to why the spot ETF can't exist don't actually make sense because they've approved the futures ETF that addresses all of those issues. So I see what they're saying. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. So many other countries, just like Canada, have spot ETFs. And so savvy Americans can also gain access and exposure to Bitcoin. Just hold Bitcoin if you want. But George, you sound like me. You You sound a lot like me. (laughs) I I saw Sundali's hand go up. I want her to go first before I just get angry again. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You should get angry. I think, I mean, this is about oversight and control, right? And the SEC doesn't have enough of either of those things to be satisfactory enough for it. I don't know. This wasn't going to be a surprising decision, whether Grayscale was planning to sue over rejection or not. I think given the recent market mayhem, it might still take a while, as Zach said. To be honest, the SEC stance on this has been pretty consistent. Like CME futures market, for instance, that has Bitcoin futures ETFs is regulated by the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And it's clear that the SEC is kind of waiting for someone it has sufficient authority over to come into the picture to be able to approve a spot ETF. I think that this is justified and it'll take a while, but it has a point. And if it wants to be careful... You know, the SEC hasn't been so consistent with their stuff so far. So this is an area where I'm like, okay, you know what? They're sticking to their guns. You know, see this through. Good for you. I'm sorry. I'm playing the devil's advocate. I'm um, on the side of the SEC. Who are we? So George can get angry now. Go ahead. (laughs) One thing you said, Jen, was, okay, we didn't get it in a bull market. What makes you think we'll get it in a bear market? In my head, it might be easier, honestly, to approve it in a bear market because imagine if they did approve the spot ETF when Bitcoin is $60,000 and then, you know, whatever, right now we're at 20K and all of these retail investors just got completely screwed. That would look really bad for people who are kind of pushing for the spot ETF. So maybe there's something to be said there. But the other thing you said about what the lawyer said, if we have a futures ETF, why can't we have a spot ETF is completely spot on, right? The things they pointed to in the ruling were... We don't know what the price is going to do because, you know, there's market manipulation. We have Tether FUD. There's going to be a hack on the Bitcoin network. There's a big whale out there that's going to tank the entire thing in just one trade. Okay, great. Then why is there a futures-based ETF, right? This is just some fancy financial contract that the CME people can, you know, make money off of. So what, we're going to just allow there to be a futures ETF? It makes no sense. If the futures ETF is supposed to mimic the price of Bitcoin, Great. All of these things that affect the price of Bitcoin are going to affect the price of the thing that mimics the price. Like, come on, guys, this doesn't make any sense. So while they were consistent with the not approving the spot ETFs, there's an inconsistency in, okay, we're mimicking price. If this affects price, all these risks affect price, then like, why even have a futures ETF? No ETFs. Everyone hold your own Bitcoin. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. 
We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.